Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside from just outside of New York City and from an apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? I'm good, Andrew. I'm good. How are you? Horrible. I texted with a friend of ours earlier, uh, RJ, um, producer at ESPN New York, great friend of ours. And I, I just said to him, he, well, he texts me first. He goes, has anyone heard from Andrew? I'm too afraid to text him. And I said, you know what? I should text him because everybody was walking on eggshells in terms of texting you. When something as dramatic as this happens, People are afraid to 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 text you when your team loses, and um, and it was such a like I said a dramatic ending to that Super Bowl last night. I was like, oh, leave him alone, just leave him alone. Yeah, I would say it's not that I want to be feared, but I would also say that you all have the right approach because I don't want to talk to anyone after those no. things. No, after the, I don't. Just no one, except no. except. Well, I shouldn't say that. I want to talk to people who feel the way that I feel. Right. Which is no no offense to you or RJ or anyone, but you just don't. No, and, and that's, no, I, that's no one's fault. You can't. I'm not going to ask you to fake it. But the, yeah. I mean, the only person I thought about that I felt sad for in terms of 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 the Eagles losing was you. Like that's it. Everybody no, yeah. else, I, I like. I'm delighted they lost. Mm-hmm. Like, no, I get it. You know, um, I'm not going to do an Empire State Building on it and go green and white just because. It seems to be the convention to do that, but um, I felt sorry for you, genu- genuinely. Uh, yeah, well, I have nothing else to say. You don't? That. Well, let me tell you, at the end of the podcast, we are going to have, if you don't want to talk about the Super Bowl, that's fine, but we will have an unprecedented turf talk, <laughs> I, and you'll have to be involved in that. All right. Have you managed to get us a sponsor for turf talk yet? No. No, that's my job, isn't it? Have you I haven't to- done anything except mope over the last 24 hours. Okay, so we got a t- turf talk, unprecedented turf talk, and uh, a celebrity sighting, which I need mm. to... more n- Not even a celebrity sighting, a celebrity interaction. And uh, I need to get your, your thoughts on it. Hmm. Uh, but, um, but this podcast, Andrew, is... It's one of our favorite... Uh, how, how would you put it? Uh... It's our favorite segment of the podcast, but we've just decided to go big on it. Well, we do this all the time now. Do we? All the time? Yeah, I mean, no, not all the time, but this is now what we do with our red cards and man of the match, because we used to do them in every podcast. Then somewhere along the way, we got lazy. And then every once in a while, we kind of smack ourselves back in the line and we try to overcompensate for that laziness by doing a podcast devoted solely to red cards and man of the match. And that's where we're at tonight. We're, we've smacked ourselves back into line, and we're going to do a whole podcast just of red cards and man of the match from the past weekend. I think we've done this before. I, I, I really, I, I think it's a great idea. Um, but I, I would, I would like to to slightly skew things very, very quickly and say because I didn't want to bury this, mm-hmm. um, and and there is we have a lot to get through. Uh, uh, Jacob Yanto, the Czech Republic international. And the Hatafi midfielder who's on loan at Sparta, Cra- uh, Sparta Prague has come out as, as gay. And the 27-year-old is the highest profile current male footballer to do this outside of um, 
Josh Cavallo at Adelaide United and I suppose Jake Daniels at Blackpool. And he just released a video. I mean, to- here in the US, I would put Robbie Rogers into that category. Right, but Robbie Rogers isn't active. Not anymore. No, but like Yan- Yanto is and, and yeah. it's kind of kind of amazing, really. And, you know, he, he did his, his video on Twitter and kind of just came out and he said, I am homosexual and I no longer want to hide myself. Um, but Sparta Prague's club statement, I thought, was great. Um, they said, Jakob spoke openly about his sexual orientation with the club some time ago. Everything else concerns his personal life. No further comments. No more questions. You have our support. Live your life, Jakob. Nothing else matters. And um, I just thought it was brilliant. And it uh, it's, it's a good way to open it. Uh, a man of the match. Uh, I, I was stunned by it today because, I don't know, there's just something so so very honest and so very raw about the video and also about some of the responses have been good. Now, look, I haven't engaged with the negative stuff. I don't want to. I'm not no, interested. No, I'm no use or interest in any of that. It's ridiculous. No, but I just thought starting off with this, it's it, it's it's pretty great. And I mean, it um, it was just a great message overall. It is great. And I'm happy for him that he now feels that he does not need to live some kind of secret life. Yeah. Um. I mean, God, I can only imagine what sort of like suffocating feeling that must be where just, you know, you're, you're kind of, you can never really be your true self. You feel like a different person around your teammates, like to just finally be able to, to freely be who you are and not have to um, live in this stressful state. I mean, I, I'm, I'm so happy for him that now he can live that kind of life. And I also think like, I'm kind of of two minds on this uh, because part of me can fully appreciate and understand what a huge moment that is for him. Uh, that obviously it's been something I don't, you know, I don't, I, I can't speak exactly to what the cult, the, the temperature of the culture is where he is in terms of, of that sort of way of life. But, um, you know, I imagine for him, that was a, a huge deal. This is a, a major life moment for him. And so I can appreciate the gravity and importance of it. By the same token, I say I'm of two minds is because when I saw the headline, it, it's not a, I feel like it's becoming more and more of a thing that I'm sort of like, oh, cool. And then that's it. Like, you know, there was a time when, like when Michael Sam, the, the football player, when he came out, when he was entering uh, the NFL draft, you know, and getting drafted, like it was a huge deal. Sports Center's doing multiple segments on it. They're mm. interviewing everybody he knew growing up. And I feel like now here we are several years later, and it's all been normalized in a way when it's like, oh, that's great. You appreciate it. And it's kind of like, oh, all right, fine. And we all carry on. And and that's the place you want to get to. But soccer's not that way. And uh-huh. and again, I'm I'm not talking out of turn when I say that there are more in, in certain parts of Europe, there are, how shall we put it? I mean, conservative is not even the right word. Right. Uh, regressive views regarding uh, certain social issues, including this. So the fact that his club would back him in this in this in this manner, and that he would be um, brave enough or comfortable enough to do it in that climate is pretty good. These are I, moments it, where people have to understand, like. For everyone who says, "Oh, it's just sports," like whenever people you know talk about their you know how they're obsessed with sports and things like that, people have to understand that in moments like this, this is where sports can lead. You know, by the club supporting him in that way, you know, 
like think of just like the the huge wide swaths of society that that club touches in some way it's everyone it's yeah. liberals conservatives what you're saying regressives you know everybody is is rooting for that team and so for the club the club they are whether they choose to be or not they're a leader in the community and people look to them and so if they normalize this it will make an impact not on everyone but you know young people that are maybe still impressionable like this is this is how it happens this is how these things get normalized by you know by pillars of the community like soccer clubs that have been around forever that are entrenched within families and cultures and traditions when they normalize these things that's how this that's how change happens so don't ever Absolutely. let anyone tell you oh sports it's just silliness just guys kicking a ball it's not it's not it's more no. than that it's so much more than that no it's and it's a huge cultural cultural vector and so um and so i thought it was great and i i i didn't you know i just didn't want to bury it i just thought to start with it um and uh, and away we go yeah no i'm glad you did thank you for that that was that was very good well let's get into the rest of it now um so yeah we we've, we've kind of just pulled four red cards and four um men women people of the match um for anyone who I guess is new to the podcast, most of you probably know by now, but the red card, it, it's all very simple. The red card is essentially things that we did not like from over the course of the last several days. Man of the match is things that were great. Um, and that's kind of how we're going to go through this podcast tonight. But I'm sure many of you already know and understand that. So uh, let's let's begin, JJ, with a little bit of this red card, uh, red card. That's right. Let's. Uh, OK, we'll start with this. I am. I'm a little bit afraid to dip my toe into this pool because I, over the years, I think most of you know where I have planted my flag. It's become an increasingly difficult position to have. I, I mean, how many metaphors do you want to put in? Your toe is in the pool, but yeah. you're also planting a flag. The flag is in the pool. The I flag brought it is... with me. Right. Yeah. It's clogging a drain, quite frankly, to be but, honest. But, but only your toe is dipped in. My toe is dipped in. There's also a flag somehow in there as well. And this is the pool of VAR. That we're referring to, so it's it's like a pool full of of Lee Mason and TV screens. Yeah, Lee, Lee Mason, Mason is on, he's on a raft floating, drinking <laughs> a uh, a pina colada. Oh, this is this is this is bizarre. This is Kafka esque. Is that not Kafka? Who was the who was the weird impressionist? Oh, I'll have a look. You you keep talking. Yeah. So I, I say it's an increasingly difficult position to have, not because my belief in this as a a virtuous thing to the sport has changed. I believe that it's important and can help the game. It's sorry, becoming... I've, I've got, sorry. Uh, Salvador Dali. That's who I meant. Oh, Remember right. Dali done all those weird drawings and stuff. Yeah. Did, did he do Guernica? Yes. That didn't feel I, like I, a confident and, and, yes. It, like all these Lee Masons in the <laughs> swimming pool and you with a flag. Yeah. Yep. Um, I say it's an increasingly difficult position to have because things are going wrong um and it's and it's just obvious like there's i can't even me who defends the technology and thinks it's important to get the proper outcome of games like mm. i'm not stupid <laughs> i have a brain and eyes like i can see things that happen this weekend and i can say this is this is wrong what's happening here it's not providing the correct outcomes and it's slowing the game down so yeah like i we can have we can have a conversation here about this, and I'm not going to just be contrarian guy. I can see that, like, sometimes you got to – I'll take a step back 
and I'll let you rail on this thing, and I won't interfere tonight. Um, yeah, this, it was not- a disastrous weekend for VAR. It, it was bad. Um, the Brentford goal that was offside. Uh, we had a goal with uh, between in the, in the Crystal Palace Brighton game where they drew the line for the offside on the on the wrong defender. I yep. think it was. Um, what else? Uh, well, for there? all of you out there who hate VAR because you love the human element, well, you're 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 getting it, so you should be thrilled. <laughs> uh, there's also uh, there was the the Suchek handball where it was adjudged that he was using the ha- his arm to support himself when honestly he was just being a goalkeeper also uh, who did is that con- did everyone know that like even let's say that like like I agree with you he was he was being a goalkeeper right that's what he was doing he was but doing like, a John Terry on it but like let's say it was that he was using his arm to support himself did you know that that was that that's an okay situation in which to handle the ball in the box? Yeah, no. If 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 the defender is literally, if like if he's falling or slipping, and the arm to that's supporting him to try and stay upright is struck by the ball, then that's that's not that's not a handball situation. I knew I I did know that actually, um, which is sad. Very, it's very not sad. sad. You host a podcast. I, it's sad that I didn't know. No, don't don't ever say that you need to know the rules to talk about soccer because the vast swathe of former players who are like analysts and commentators now they don't. Look, here's the thing. There's kind of the coming together of a couple of things here. With the offside, um I was I was reading Dale Johnson who I mean Dale Johnson, god love him, is just now the spokesperson for I mean, he does a column for ESPN. It must be the most read column on ESPN FC because yeah. it's all about breaking down uh, VAR decisions and and, and uh, refereeing decisions. And he just said, you know, the semi-automated offside would solve all this problem. But the Premier League are reluctant to bring it in because why? In the same way they want the whole let it flow diktat. Well, maybe not the same way, but in a similar vein, they're worried that the really narrow offsides will suddenly get called because the semi-automated tracks all players, all bodies. It's not going to get it wrong. Okay. So you're going to have like razor sharp accuracy. We're going to go back to the molecular level, which we're, which we're hesitant to do. Right. Um, And then the other thing is that um, as, as pointed out again by, by, by Dale Johnson. um, So, a major problem, he says, is that many of those errors are being made by officials whose sole job is VAR. Uh, Mason, who failed to disallow the Brentford goal, was the Premier League's first full-time VAR and is into his second season, but has made six confirmed mistakes this campaign. He was responsible for two errors that weekend. Um, he referred to a weekend in September, which when things were pretty bad. Christian Norgaard's possible offside was not spotted by the VAR, Lee Mason. Um, and so- Ethan Pinnock in the build-up to right. Right. So um, there were two. Yes. <laughs> um, Swarbrick, uh, who is the Premier League's head of VAR, failed to award a penalty to Chelsea on Saturday and was also responsible for the misread card to Liverpool. Uh, that was the uh, Fabinho incident. Another error that the PGMOL admitted to. So uh, Howard Webb, when he's not spending his time ignoring my emails. Oh, here we go. He has summoned everyone together. So he's he's bringing everyone together. So there's going to be crisis talks about about what's going on. Um, so so Mason Swarbrick and Mike Dean, the other official who only works on VAR, have been responsible for around half of all errors this season, which is wrong and missed in- interventions. 
it shows that an experienced referee doesn't necessarily mean you have to uh, mean you have the skills to be an effective VAR. Look, you see, I was much. It goes back to what I'm saying, and this is probably where I'll, I'll rant and I'll rail, as you said. I was happy with, not happy, but if a referee got something wrong, it was, you know, look at he. he he made a mistake. On we go. He, it could happen for either team. There was no bias intended. But like with VAR, you see this. They've got the chance to figure it out and to see it. And to and they've got the technology and they still get it wrong. You're like, what's the point? Is the delay worth it? Is all this messing around worth it if ultimately they're still going to get the decision wrong? Um, so where I come from with it is, again, like what happened this weekend was was disastrous for people like myself um, who who – support the technology my my thing is this and i'm never i'm just never going to move off of it it just drives me crazy in situations where the whole world watching a game can know what had like can know the 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 play like what should have been called except the one guy on the field who needs to know i can't get past that yeah i know and so if there's a way if there's technology that exists that can change that and we can all know together, including the referee, then I feel like we just, even if there's going to be bumps along the way, we have to keep trying to get to that place. So I can't have another Henri handball to, that keeps Ireland out of the World Cup. I can't have the lesser known cousin of the Henri handball, the, the Panama phantom goal that kept the U.S. out of the World Cup. Okay. For some reason, that one never gets talked about, even though it's like yeah. a, a landmark moment in the history of the sport. Like I can't. Those things can't be allowed to happen if there's an obvious technology in place that would prevent it. And I know that they're still going through these bumps to get it figured out. And there will always be bumps in this process. The NFL's had replay for a generation, and there's still people who get frustrated by certain things. So, uh, by what is a catch, what's not a catch. So it always it'll always be there. But I just I need it for the obvious ones. I just I just need it for those moments. And, you know, it's unfortunate that like games get stopped and, and calls are still missed. But if that's if if you have to live through a few of those to ensure that, you know, you get the majority of the, the calls correct, then I'm I, I guess I'm still willing to do it. I know what you mean, but I I, I just don't think the, the Panama ghost goal and, and the Henri handball much as it, it hurt me like they weren't they're not they weren't the norm like they weren't happening every day of the week. We've got we got it into our heads that it that football had got to this intolerable position where something had to be done. We have to do something, and we must intervene in this fashion. And we've gone so far down the road now. Um, but also as well, the way the Premier League has dealt with things, Andrew, you know, they want their cake and they want to eat it. They want to have, you know, English football in this in this in its most fast and violent sense. The stuff that they think was the essence of the English game, but they also want VAR too. And the both things don't work together. So what you're seeing is like half applications in terms of tackles. What we're seeing with offsides is, oh yeah, well, we want to get offside right, but we don't want to bring in something that will get it exactly right because life and football are lived in the gray areas. And now as I am happy with the gray areas, I'm, I know. And I think maybe that's being Irish as well, because we're not, we don't need perfection. We've never needed it. Um, as long as things aren't corrupt or incompetent, we're willing to be, give people a pass. And uh, yeah, look, 
everybody knows where we're at on this. This weekend doesn't change things. I just say, you know, come on, guys, you got to get this right. If you're going to do this, do it right. And I would think that um, if, if these guys are making consistent VAR errors, then get different VARs. And I, I don't believe it has to be an ex-player. That I, I remember Merson talking about that. Like, first of all, if you want transparency and if you want accountability and all these things, it can't be an ex-player because the fans will just put their own biases on this player. An yeah. ex-Arsenal player giving a decision against another London team. Can you imagine? It doesn't have to be Spurs. It could be anyone. That that suggestion doesn't have to be right. But if you have to have specifically trained uh, VARs that are much better than the ones we have now, okay, fine. I think it's four times this season Arsenal have in some way dropped points because of a, a VAR mistake. Don't tell them that. That's not, that's not good. Don't tell them that. Uh, it's my job to relay yeah, information. But, yeah, well, we're going to get to Arsenal later. Mm-hmm. And I, I just just remind me, I've been talking to Arsenal fans about this little wobble. Oh, and, yeah. Okay. And <laughs> I've heard my, my, my favorite excuse ever. For, well, for, save it. Save it. I'm saving it. I'm All right. Saving. All right. Um, okay. That was red card number one. Let's do uh, this now. Caught offside's man of the match. Man of the match number one, JJ, and it is—it's right. Marcus Rashford. It's Marcus Rashford, twenty-one goals and eight assists in all competitions so far this season. That's in, over the course of thirty-four games between the Europa League, FA Cup, League Cup, and the Premier League. Um, Statman Dave, uh, an account that I, I really enjoy. Uh, Marcus Rashford has now scored twelve Premier League goals this season. He's only scored more league goals in a season once. That was in the uh, 1920 season. Another tweet from Statman Dave that I found particularly interesting, J.J. Rashford, last week, uh, you know who he passed for Premier League goals? Scored? No. He passed Luis Suarez, which I just found interesting. I just, like, because I feel like Rashford has been a fine player who sometimes reaches our expectations and then goes through long periods of time where he doesn't. Meanwhile, I, I, in my head, I view Suarez as one of the greatest Premier League players I've seen. Right. But so it was Suarez, interesting. It's just interesting I, to me that, that Rashford has passed. I think it's 71 to 69 now, I think. Yeah. But I would, I would, I would note that, um, that Suarez probably played half the time that Rashford did in the Premier League. Yeah, if, I, I get it. So that that's, and I mean, the pelt, like Marcus Rashford, I guarantee you will finish his career without ever having a season like Luis Suarez did in thirteen forty. That probably true. That's one of the best seasons anyone's ever had. It's never happening. So, um, but yeah, it's 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 a significant landmark, and and just the turnaround in him and his importance to United since Ten Hag has come in is is very important. I I do think it's 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 been helpful that Ronaldo has exited stage left, and yeah. now Rashford is. Is, is more important to the team, but also the fact that Ten Hag didn't look to replace him. He saw something in him. He said from the beginning that he, he felt he could get more out of him and he's getting more out of him. And, um, and it's been, it's been really great to watch. I would also say though, too, sometimes it's the basic stuff. Like he's fit. He's fully fit. He's not like, there was a period of the last season or the season before where he played on with a, a significant shoulder injury, delayed surgery. So he could play. I mean, can you imagine trying to do that in a physical, a fast sport like like soccer, um, and particularly in the position he played in? So, I think fitness, I think focus, 
Ten Hag's quotes were were kind of interesting to me. I don't know when it will stop his goal scoring form, but if you are satisfied with it, then it will. And because satisfaction goes to laziness, mm-hmm. you have to keep investing every day. When he keeps the investment and keeps the focus in every game and brings the energy and belief, he will keep scoring. He has the skills to score with right, with left, and with his head. It's about him getting into position. I thought I thought that was kind of interesting that he would even have to to say that, but he he might suggest I- that that. I'm not saying Rashford, of course I'm not saying he's lazy, but satisfied that the fact I, that, that... That's a great quote from yeah. Ten Hag. Like, that's like a life quote, not just like a Isn't soccer it? player quote. That's that's deep. I, I think that's great stuff. Would you have that on a poster? If you had an office, would you have that on a poster with a picture of a lion and below it, satisfaction leads to laziness? Do you remember, though, that line of corporate poster that you used oh, to sure. see? Yeah. I had a uh, a computer teacher in middle school who had a room full of them. I remember there was one in particular. It wasn't even clever. That was why maybe why it stands out. It just said free knowledge, bring your own container. Oh. It just Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh god. It always stuck with me. That one. I'm yeah. sure there were ones of great depth, but that stupid one is the one that I remember to this day. The cringiest ones are the ones you remember. That's a bad. That's bad. Free knowledge. Bring your own container. Yeah, doesn't even oh. really make sense. It does. It means you are the empty vessel, and I'm I'm the vector of knowledge. Allow me to fill you. <laughs> oh, jeez, that is so uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> all right, let's get this back on track. Come on. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, the Ten Hag quote. No, but I I just like the idea of that. But it it also goes to show JJ why, like, I'll never really feel bad for professional athletes. Like their life is cool, and they're they have an awesome job, and like they're super wealthy, and like it's it's just amazing to be a pro athlete. But like these guys, like a quote like that of Marcus Rashford's having one of the best seasons of, of his entire life, but his manager is saying if you become satisfied with this then you're be, you're lazy in my mind like you can never be satisfied and so like these guys can't it's like they're not allowed to appreciate what they're doing until their careers are over and they oh, i'm sure they all think in their heads like boy i wish like looking back on it now i wish i took i wish i was more present then like i wish i really like could take the chance to appreciate what was happening in my my career at that time but they're not allowed to no and i know there was probably Actually, no, I take that back. I was going to say there was probably more pressure in Steven Gerrard's career, but let's not rank the pressures. I mean, Marcus Rashford's a hometown boy leading Manchester United. That's massive pressure. Yeah. Um, Gerrard, I don't think he enjoyed... I mean, I think he enjoyed after big games winning, but I don't think in the peak of his career he enjoyed games. Like That's sad. I, I would say that goes for top-flight footballers, between 60 and 70%. Like there's there's your Jimmy Bullards. Remember Jimmy Bullard? Uh-huh. He was always smiling. He was happy. You know, Wigan, Fulham, uh, Hull. Like he was happy. And you could tell. But a lot of the players, it just looks like this, this massive grind because of, of pressure and expectation and the pressure to keep doing it over and over and over again. The repetition of that is is crazy. And that's why, say what you like about Harry Kane, when you see what he's done, like, you have to, you have to just 
just acknowledge and say that's brilliant, that level of consistency. Uh, before we move off of Rashford, um, Premier League player of the season. Yeah. Who's, who's ahead of him right now? I mean, just for weight of goals, I suppose the the Nordic. What's it? What's it? The guy called him in in the comedy sketch City did the Nordic meat shield. <laughs> uh, Erling Haaland. I mean, I, I think you're right. You are right. But like, it is funny though that Holland is criticized at every turn, and then yet when when you bring up the idea of player of the season, it's like, oh, well, Holland. Well, like, wait a minute. I thought I thought he's like no good or whatever. Like, I mean, there's other players in the in the running for it. Um, I I suppose I'd I'd have to I'd have to think a bit more really. I mean, well, so Arsenal, I would say Arsenal have got like Martin. Although I, I wasn't impressed with him at the weekend. I mean, up until now, Martin Odegaard. Yes, he's in the conversation. Um, for me, Holland Odegaard. I know we had talked about Saka. Uh, some of it's going to come down to what Arsenal wind up doing. Saka too. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You know, I, I did throw Kane in there. He is having another Harry Kane season but we just get so used to it that it doesn't really stand out sometimes, but he is like, there's, if you look at the usual suspects, you know, we said Holland, is there anyone else on city? I know, I know Rodri sounds like he's starting to build some momentum in this conversation. Uh, but I don't really know if there's anyone else that I would say right now for them, no one for Liverpool, no one for Chelsea. Um, you have, you, you might have a couple at, at Newcastle, but who? even Oh, well, like, I mean, Guimaraes was doing very well for a while. I don't think he's, he's not having player of the season type. No, I know. I know. I'm just well, that's the conversation. I'm tr- well, I'm trying to think of players that are in really good form right now. So, all right. Almiron? 100%. Player of the season? Why not? You, like, if you're going to say the player of the season has to be in, like, the top two clubs, then I'm fine. I'm not saying that. Oh, Almiron, he went on an absolute tear. Andrew scored again over the weekend in the How in the How Cup. The How Cup, yeah. Newcastle's draw machine. Yeah, maybe if we're missing someone, let us know. I feel like we're getting hitting. I on feel like we're through. so deep in it now. Oh, our friend at Brighton. Come on, a thousand a thousand percent that Matoma is in this. Is he? Like, oh, come on! Have you watched uh. him? All right. You are very top, top three, top four centered. I do think that that matters. I mean, that's kind of the case in most sports. It's hard to win MVP if you're not one of the best teams. Uh, Just is. I, I go back to the time when a certain Argentinian helped save Leicester from uh, relegation. Yep. And because his performances down the stretch were amazing. I decided that I would give him my player of the season, and you went mental. And, and I was proven right, because he left the club, and then the next season they went on and won the whole damn thing. So dude, how important he, was he? Dude, he was nearly 40, and he was pulling uh, so out these What does that matter? Esteban Cambiasso is the pair I'm talking about. You, I, I don't know. It was our first of unlings, and JJ named Cambiasso his player of the season, because JJ is smarter than us and sees the world differently. Well, I do see the world differently. Yeah. Not from everyone else. Some people, a lot of people agree with me, but I see it differently from you, <laughs> Johnny Frontrunner over here. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's do another one of these. Red card. That's right, red card. Tottenham. I'm, what a I'm horrible, the... horrible weekend for them. 
I'm leaving this one to you, right? Because no, 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 weigh in. I don't. This isn't. I don't need to be the only voice here. Well, well, I didn't watch the match, but can I? Can I? I'm going to reveal something here to the to the listening public. Um, who I consider family. My girlfriend is a Tottenham supporter. Mm-hmm. She's also pregnant. <gasps> you knew Am this. I... <laughs> You knew this. There's no need to add to the drama. <laughs> Look at Andrew. His immediate stagecraft comes to light. I didn't know that when you knew it. And you've also bought presents for us. I'm trying to channel the, the shock of the listener. What? You, congratulations. We have to where, cue the balloons. I, I'm not ready for this. We're going to have a gender reveal in which I burn down a large portion of a forest by accident. <laughs> and the podcast has to be done from a state penitentiary. <laughs> Um, no, uh, so, so she's, I'm watching, what was I watching? I guess, was it Arsenal Brentford was on at the same time? Uh, anyways, I, I'm, whatever game I'm watching, it's not that. Yeah. And she's in the kitchen going, going, oh, uh, like making just horror noises. And I have to get up every time because she's pregnant. I'm like, are you okay? Are you all right? Okay. And she, and she, she pulls her headphones out. She goes, she's watching on her phone. She goes, yeah, yeah. They're just really, really <laughs> So uh um, yeah. yeah, there you go. Well, she's not wrong. Uh this was uh Our a point. total battering uh by Leicester over Tottenham 4-1 and that was after Tottenham took a one goal lead early on. Um could have been 5-1. Uh Leicester had a goal ruled out for uh through VAR correctly, I would say. Uh, VAR needs a PR man. That's what they need. They have they, they do so many they have so many correct decisions that never get mentioned. <laughs> only it's only it's bad ones. They they need they're in desperate need of PR, good PR. Um but at any rate, uh it, it was a horrible performance for Tottenham, maybe their worst of the year, which is saying something because they've had some some pretty shocking performances this season despite the fact that their place in the table is not disastrous. Um but when they're bad, oh, boy are they boy are they bad. Um you asked the question on the rundown, JJ, if we're looking at a low point for the Conte era. I don't know. That's a that's a good question. <laughs> We've got depths to go yet. <laughs> well, they've lost half of their last 10 matches, so that's a good starting point. Um, but, like, boy, it's so symmetrical with last season. They When last season they beat City and then immediately turned around and lost to Burnley. Now this year they beat City and they turn around and lose to Leicester. Um, but not just lose to Leicester, get just smashed by them. There is just... I mean, like in built within the DNA of this club is a schizophrenia. It's wild. Uh, I mean, like Chiellini talked about the history of the Tottenham. This schizophrenia is the history of the Tottenham. Like this is it's just who they are that one week to the next. You just don't know. Um, Conte said afterwards, if you want to win or achieve some targets and have a good position in the Champions League or in England in the Premier League, you have to be stable. And this stability is lacking this year. Sometimes players feel motivated. Other times they feel so much under pressure that they can't perform. Maybe for a period they have a good performance and then they collapse all of a sudden if they feel too much pressure. We are working on this. We want to make our players more resilient. I mean, I don't know how you you do that. He's not wrong. I, I, I think he's right. I don't know if he's the right character to do those things because he seems like a thrill a minute himself. Like if right. you want someone to to teach stability within your club, is a maniac capable of doing that? I don't know. <laughs> I would suggest probably not. 
Yeah. Doesn't mean he's not a great manager, but I don't know if like trying to keep a calm sense among your team is is his strong suit. Um, and and the blows kept coming. The the Benton Corn news is it's terrible. It really is. I feel for the guy so much. Um, torn ACL, out for the season. Having That's his it. having his his career year. Having his like upping up the level into that next echelon of player. He's a star. I watch him every week. He's a star. He's such a great player. Yeah. Um, his vision, his ability to, to stay on the ball, his passing, he's just great in that midfield. Um, and so he's done now for the season. This comes on the heels. Say what you want about Hugo Lloris. He is their captain. It's an important figure within the club. Fraser Forster is their keeper now. I'd rather have Hugo. Uh, he's out for months. Um, you know, I'm looking ahead now. We'll talk about the Champions League coming up, but you know Tottenham have a they're they're in the knockout stage of the Champions League against AC Milan, and they're going into with their midfield Bentoncourt torn ACL. He's out. Eves Basuma stress fracture in his foot, needs surgery. He's out. Pierre Emil Hoybier suspended. I mean, this is their biggest match. They're not winning a title in the Premier League. They're out of the League Cup. We'll see what happens. FA Cup, all that. But like maybe they can go for something in the champions league. And now what, what's their midfield in their most important match, arguably of the season. Like it's, I mean, they've, they've just hit, they've hit such a rough stretch here, but what, what they need is for like, there are still great players there and they need Kane to be Kane. And he has been the season. If Benton core is the, not the player of the season, it's because Kane is, he's been himself. They need son. Like, you know, he's got to step up now and be at least close to the player he was last year. And, and he's got it in him. You know, Christian Romero needs to be what he is for Argentina and what I've seen him be for Spurs. In the Like, they do have those guys. They just have to step up. There can't be any more stupid mistakes. There can't be more squandered chances um, because they're they're down bodies right now. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know, Andrew. I think this is just going to... He's so Spursy just to beat City and then go and be so bad. Now, we should yeah. give Leicester some credit. I mean, they're on a little mini revival here with with, with Brendan Rodgers. And you think when we did um, Factor of Fear, the the hit TV show uh, earlier in the season, I mean, Brendan was right there, absolutely right there. And uh, and they've done they've done well. They've done really well this this last little while to kind of hoist themselves into 13th position in the Premier League. So we should we should give them some credit, too. Um, Yeah. I mean, if you want to give credit for being 13th for. A club that generally thought, should be better than that, I think. Uh, but... I thought they were going down. <laughs> wow. I mean, they might yet be, but I don't think they will. Ah, uh, I don't, I don't think, think so. so. But uh, uh, yeah, red card, red card, Tottenham. Red I've card. got a, I've got an additional red card, Andrew, that oh. I'd like to throw into the mix very quickly. It's okay. of an Amer- American nature, uh, Malik Tillman. Um, so Malik Tillman's mix of American opportunism and German efficiency. Got him in a spot of bother at the weekend in a cup game in Scotland, uh, Rangers versus Partick Thistle. Having sustained an injury, Rangers kicked the ball out so Tillman could receive attention. Partick then took the throw, and their player indicated he was going to boot it back down the, to the Rangers' end, as the sportsmanship mostly dictates. Mm-hmm. But not for Tillman. Uh-oh. He tackles the player, runs in to score, creating an almighty scuffle in the goal mouth. And uh, it prompted Rangers manager Michael Beale 
to allow Partick, Partick Thistle to run in a goal unopposed. Although if you watch the highlights, uh, Alan McGregor, the Rangers keeper, uh, didn't really seem to be in the spirit of this gesture. Uh, they were allowed to equalize at 2-2. And I think James Sands was involved or even scored in some way, deflected, I don't know, the winner for Rangers. So all's well that ends well for Rangers. But the, I, I put up, you can't be doing this. You You can't. Now, it's a terrible touch. But the guy is clearly going to boot it back down the field. He points that he's going to hit it back down the field. Tillman's having none of it and decides to interrupt this this moment of sportsmanship. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I thought, anyway, all's well that ends well. Very kind of unprecedented. I mean, the last time I saw that was Leeds versus Aston Villa in the championship under Bielsa. I remember there was a goal scored. It shouldn't have been. And uh, I think I think a goal was allowed to be run in. Um, but it's 24 years to the day since this happened, when Arsenal took on Sheffield United in the fifth round of the FA Cup at Highbury. Can we take a listen? But this tie will be remembered for very different reasons. Alan Kelly's clearance was put into touch to allow Lee Morris to receive treatment at the other end of the field. Ray Parler intended to give the ball back with his throw-in, as is the convention, but Nwankwo Kanu, 11 minutes into his English debut, misunderstood the situation, and Mark Obermaier's instinctive reaction was to take the chance. United, understandably, were incensed, but their anger was matched only by Arsenal's embarrassment. And before the end, the champions had already decided on a sporting and unprecedented solution to offer a rematch. So, Andrew, a game was called off. Due Unbelievable. To this exact incident. Like, they literally, this game was, it wasn't called off. It was finished and then it was wiped because Arsenal were so embarrassed that Canu had had stolen the ball and ran it in for Overmars. So in the description there, Kanu, they say, was confused. Like, he was new to the team. I guess he just didn't understand the situation. So I guess I'll give him a pass. He didn't score the goal. Overmars did. What's Overmars doing? Well, Overmars have been in the league a a couple of years longer than Kanu, so he should have He just got swept up in the moment? Yeah, he got swept up in the moment and rolled it home. Um (laughs) And and Steve Bruce was the ma- imagine Steve Bruce was the manager. He looks Sheffield. so young. Yeah. Oh, I know, <sighs> amazing. He was he was going to take the players off the field, but they finished the game. And Arsenal, long before the end of the game, uh, David Dean and some of the people who were you know on the board of Arsenal said, "Oh, we can't let this stand. This is embarrassing." Mm. And um, for the first time in I think in FA Cup history, a game was that game was wiped, and they played ten days later. And it meant Arsenal had a fixture backlog that five games in, 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 in a short period of time, but it didn't matter. So uh, the people who were getting in the mention saying, I like what Tillman did. You do, uh, uh, you do whatever it takes to win. There Stop. Was a lot... Stop. Yeah, come on. That's not, no. <laughs> that's not how you, that's not how you win. It's just no, not like, what not. Are you... people really like people are up. That oh yeah. That, like that's what you should do. No, they, they were like, we? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I got lots of messages. Don't have a problem with it. Mostly U.S. soccer fans who always need they the need to defend your own is is massive when you're you're a U.S. soccer fan, and I get that. Uh, but, not all, really, not all not, the time. Ask Greg Berhalter. This was, <laughs> well, yeah, good point. But anyway, that's a that's a rogue red card that I've just flung in there because uh, because I wanted to. No, it was it was spectacular. That's a really good one. All right, well, let's go from the rogue red to a standard this. Caught offside's man of the match. Man of the match, JJ, and it's your club, Liverpool. 
Yeah. Good day for them today. Uh, very with, good. Uh, a 2 0 win in the Merseyside Derby. Yeah, very good. Uh, Mohamed Salah scoring and Cody Gakbo getting his first goal in uh, Liverpool colours. And it was, by and large, what you needed to see in a derby. Um, I will, I suppose, put this in context. Everton were terrible. <laughs> like, offered nothing. But there was a turning point. I mean, they were going, it almost seemed like they were going to dice it. Uh, Liverpool were in control of the ball, weren't creating a ton of chances. And then Everton get a corner and uh, it swung into Tarkovsky, who has a, like, what would be described in the cliches as a towering header. And um, this is like nine minutes before half time. And it hits the post. It's not followed up on. It gets cleared. And then there's just this lightning break from Liverpool with, with Darwin Nunez doing the stuff you love to see him do, just streaking away. And he centers the ball. And, and most importantly, not shooting. Yes, yes. Centers the ball and it skips up for Salah, who has the simplest job, which was on replay and even in real time, made much easier by the fact that Jordan Pickford decided to leave him a huge... He was he was literally a concierge for the goal. So, you know, welcome, welcome to my penalty box, sir. Here is the goal. This is the ball. And this is where you may put it. Uh, dreadful bit of goalkeeping. I don't know what he was thinking. You, I guess he was, you talk he was, all the time on this podcast, JJ, um, about glitches in FIFA in the video game. Yeah. Yeah. Like when I saw this, I was like, well, I mean, if that's not one, then I don't know what the hell is. What is he doing? <laughs> that was such a video game glitch. If he stays in the center of his goal on on the penalty spot or, or five yards back, he might actually save it. It just goes. He, I guess he gambles that the other player that was running in was going to score. It was going to get, make it to him and not Salah. Yeah, he looks so foolish, like really foolish, and um, and yeah, and I think Liverpool Liverpool looked looked very good. Everton uh, did Liverpool look very good. Like parts of Liverpool really functioned well. Thought Nunez was such a problem for Everton. Gakpo turning, driving with the ball. I thought the way Liverpool were able to carry the ball and get through Everton's mid block was like really, really important. And and Liverpool were absolutely well worthy of this result. But like Everton, they were coming in off the back of the win against Arsenal. You know, there was a lot about, oh, Dyche, master, you know, master plan. Look at what he's done. Look at the way he's turned the club around. And then to be just so limp and kind of, yeah, I mean, an, anemic. Now, it, I hear what people are saying. If, if Tarkovsky's header goes in, they might dice it. Um, yeah. but no, like, that's what... true. But like, I think if you're Everton, like, look, as much as you want to get something out of this game because it's your arch rival, you're battling relegation. Um, but like, if you take a step back and you kind of think, okay, we had Arsenal and Liverpool back to back, we took three points from those two games, you sign up for that. You would. So, but it's the derby, Andrew. And I, I think if you looked at like our friend Ped. Uh, from Toffee TV, he he tweeted out they've given up and there's like 25 minutes left. You know, there was just a just a sense that this is you've got to give more. And and then right at the end, around the 86th minute, they there was this little scuffle between. Can we talk Andy... about that for a sec? Yeah, go ahead. So I saw I didn't get a chance to see this game because uh, I was at work, um, and so on my train ride home, I was like, all right, let me like 
take in everything that happened and and try to understand how this all went. And there's a couple articles that I see at different websites that say something to the effect of tempers flare in Merseyside Derby. Ah. And it's like a picture of like Andy Robertson screaming. And I was like, Ooh, what happened here? And you click on it and it's just the most hold me back fight I've ever seen. It was pathetic. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying I'm sitting here wanting to see like punches thrown. I'm not, I'm not clamoring for that, but just like the false advertising of, I mean, I guess it's true. Tempers, I I suppose did flare, but it was just so much nothing for whatever it was that I was expecting to see. Yeah. I I, I would tend to agree with you as well. There was a lot of Jersey shore late at night, hold me back stuff. All the whole thing was just a guy with, push and then immediately find a teammate to like be in be behind yeah yeah i know you're right um, also too the the um the gakpo goal like i know yeah. we're talking about pickford and the role that he played in the first one sure what, what happened with connor cody on the gakpo one yeah just a whiff yeah i i mean it's a it's a it's a one of those balls that's so difficult to defend for from Trent Alexander Arnold, like it is very, very good. Yeah, if uh, if you get if Cody gets some kind of contact on it, it's just as likely he might knock it into his own goal. Yeah, so it is tough, but I don't know. You see Pickford on the first, you see Cody on the second, you, and it does feel a little bit sometimes. Not that Liverpool weren't deserving, but boy, Everton really can be the author of their own demise so and, frequently. Yeah, and also you know the qualities that dice bringeth. Uh, our, his organization, no mistakes, no nonsense defending. And there was really none of that. I was also surprised about, and again, I don't want to take away from anyone's performance, but um, two things. Gakbo's had a couple of turns in the first half and he's just turning into acres of space. Like, where's the compactness? Where's the tackle coming in from Everton players trying to close him down? And um, I love this kid. Uh, he's 18 years of age. Stefan oh. Bacetic. Mm. Like to come into the side and to start as many games as he has lately in in a, in a struggling team and looks so comfortable and so good on the ball, but you could blow him away. Like why? How how did Everton not? How were they unable to bully that midfield of Liverpool's? Um, now I will say Henderson was Henderson was the right call for that game in terms of like his pressing and in terms of just like knowing what goes on in a derby and and that intensity, but I. I I have to say, I was so nervous going into it. I confided in in a friend that I I feel physically sick about this one because really, they are, oh, they are bad, and we are on a bad bad run, and I, I we can't lose to them. We cannot lose to them. Wow, yeah, physically both, sick. Oh yeah, give me that nauseous feeling in my stomach. You can't lose to them. Hmm. Well, you didn't. Um, yeah. so, and, and you wonder now. I mean. Look, we, we've said that this season, whatever we thought it might be for Liverpool, it, it's not going to happen. Um, however, they're like, I'm still not ready to rule them out of, of some sort of challenge for top four. I don't think they'll get it, but you do see stuff like today, Klopp fist pumping, uh, Salah scoring his first goal since Boxing Day, Gakpo scoring his first goal for Liverpool, period. Like you just said, Bacetic rounding into being a potentially special young player for them. And, and like, you do think if, okay, they went through this rough patch, but there are still players there. Nunez, you talked about, you know, a good account of himself in this one, Trent with the assist. Like I can't sit here. I just, I don't know. We've talked about this so many weeks, so we don't need to go in depth, but I just, if you're looking for someone to tell you that it's the season is done and dusted for them, 
I, I won't be the one who tells you that. It was, I can't. It, it was good to see uh, Jota come back as well, uh, yeah. come into the game. That, that, that was really great to see. Uh, I, are you familiar with the Irish phrase, one swallow never made a summer? Uh, I recite that phrase daily, as a matter of fact. No, you don't. Oh. But it basically means that, uh, you know, when you see the swallows, it doesn't mean that, you know, that's the whole summer, you know, the, the sighting of one swallow. The sighting of one Liverpool win against a truly bad Everton side it's does true. not. There are better organized teams in this league, Andrew. And um, and while I'm heartened by the result and a win was needed, I'm not reading too much into it. That, that's fair. That's uh that's a rational, rational approach. Uh, all right, let's do this. Red card. That's right. Red card. UEFA findings. Oh so God. what does that mean? You're asking yourself. Well, I'll tell you the report, JJ, has come back on UEFA's handling of a game you were at, the 2022 Champions League final. And it's not great. Um, Philippe Auclair, esteemed journalist, um, French journalist, he he tweeted this today. He said, the independent report commissioned by UEFA into the chaos that was the 2022 Champions League final is now available online. Only one group of people comes out of it well, the fans. It is thanks to them that a tragedy was avoided. The report is damning for UEFA, yet... The uh, Yet the same UEFA, which deserves to be censored, should also be commended for naming a truly independent panel, which certainly didn't spare them. Other sports bodies could take a page or three from their book in this respect. <laughs> That's an interesting point. No. Uh, UEFA, talk about like, I was going to say self-flagellation, but employing someone to like to absolutely give you the business. Is what they've done because yeah. this report is, I mean, it, it points them with the primary responsibility for what was the chaotic situation outside the, the, the stadium. Um, the investigation panel said, as you said, remarkable that no one lost their life um, and that UEFA as the event owner bears the primary responsibility for the failures, which almost led to a disaster. It had plenty to say about the about the policing as well. Um, and, and it completely exonerates, not that that needed... Well, yes, it did need it to happen. It does need to. For for the message that was shown on that screen in yeah, that stadium right. that was transmitted yeah. around the world, that that game was being delayed because of, quote, late arriving fans. Yeah. It's not a fair calcula- a characterization of what was going on there at all. Yeah, you're right. And, and I was naive to think that in the intervening months that that had been put to bed properly. But, I mean, it hasn't. Um, on the evidence, the panel has concluded that the senior management of UEFA events marginalized the UEFA SNS unit. That is the the shocking one for me. Uh, Zeko Pavlika uh, is the UEFA is UEFA's head of safety and security operations, and um, he's basically UEFA's own kind of security concerns and and the way it wants to set up its its uh, its security operations at major finals have, have been sidelined. There was a laissez-faire attitude towards the running of this um, of this final from a security standpoint. There seemed to be far too much leaning on the French police and how they would deal with it rather than proper organization from um, from UEFA. It's, um, it's crazy. I saw a tweet today where someone said um, Liverpool supporters and the, you know uh what happened to them means that lives will be saved down the line because UEFA are now going to have to implement changes 
100%. How are we here in 2023? I don't know. Like, I mean, I remember, I remember saying those exact words that day in 2022, watching that all play out and seeing the, the, the picture, the videos on Twitter of just like intentional bottlenecks where it's like, it, you almost looked at it and it's like, are, are the French police, are they sabotaging this? Like yeah. who, who could have these ideas? And think that this is how you handle an event like this. Have they? This is a major venue that has hosted major events. Have they? Are they not familiar with with how this stuff works? Like what what was going on there? It was, it was so weird. And it's it's so important that this independent panel has you know pushed back against the kind of lies and the, and the fan blaming that UEFA and the French authorities engaged in. You know, this is a complete exoneration of Liverpool fans. Um, Kave Solakal of Sky Sports, he said about it, now we know what we always knew. Liverpool fans didn't arrive late and Liverpool fans didn't try to bunk in mass without tickets. Now we know what we always knew. What happened on 28th of May, 2022 was the fault of UEFA, the French authorities and the French police. Uh, He goes on to say some 115 fans were injured and up to 3000 Liverpool fans without uh, with tickets left without getting into the stadium. Uh, the truth is that the real blame lies with UEFA, the French authorities, and the French police. Their incompetence and negligence could have led to a far more serious situation had it not been for the restraint of the Liverpool supporters, who know all about the history of what happened at Hillsborough in 1989. Yeah. It's... um, And you were there. So, yes. Yes, I was. And the idea... Like, that's the thing. When I was in the stadium, and I tried to 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 let people know... Uh, my friends back home were texting me because the lie had gone through the TVs. That's the problem. You have to put a statement out and then that lie is ran with because how how can the TV stations know? Well, this is what you have for telling us. So we'll we'll tell the world. Well, and, but that lie now, like you said before, you had believed that that lie had been debunked and and it had been. But it still was important for that to be included in the official investigation report. But even in the moment. Like that, that said that on the stadium, but like, so I I remember watching it on TV, you see on the screen that it's saying the match is being delayed because of of late arriving fans. You go on Twitter and you see videos of chaos outside the stadium and you're saying to yourself, wait a minute, this, these two things don't align. Andrew, I was on my way to the stadium when I started getting text messages and I was early Uh (laughs) and there was thousands of Liverpool fans there already. This, yeah. It's just it was such a a an obvious device of deflection from UEFA, and it was it it goes to show you that powerful entities will always look to blame the fans if they can and 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 move the spotlight away from themselves. Absolutely, uh, a, a total and utter exoneration for for Liverpool fans and 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 every fan that was there that day. Yeah, well, we're we're in an era where it's increasingly difficult to do that because there's just there's too much. Everyone's a journalist now. Everyone has a camera with them at all times and the ability and, and a platform to send it out and let the world see what's actually going on, uh, you know, for better or worse. Yes. Uh, social media and, and is not always a, a great tool for people to use, but there are situations like that day in Paris where it was, it really was. And you knew immediately what was going on and whatever lies were being spread by the, the governing bodies, UEFA, the French police were not true. And, and we all saw it in real time. Um, so yeah, good on, uh, that, uh, independent investigation for letting everyone know what, what really went on there. Uh, all right, let's, uh, let's keep it going here. Caught offsides, man of the match. 
Another uh, another man of the match, JJ. I'm excited about this one. It's the return of the Champions League. Boy, it feels like it's been a while. We had a whole an entire World Cup was played in between the group stage and the knockout stage of the Champions League. I had no idea who played whom, what the ties were, or anything until I looked at it again just tonight. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh yeah, well, so, that that thing. Yeah. Um, so I mean, we don't have to go too in depth because these games are about to be happening. Um, by the time you listen to this, some of them maybe already have, but just, uh, I guess quickly, what are the, the matchups that you're most excited about here? Well, you know me, Andrew, I only eat what is on my plate. So looking just to this week's matchups, obviously there's, there's more next week, but PSG and Bayern Munich really strikes me as one because uh, PSG get absolutely thumped at the weekend by Monaco. They're apologizing um, to their fans. Yeah, they're just they're in a such a weird place that can we look forward to another PSG Champions League meltdown? Is that on the cards? It is wild to me that one of those two teams is going to be out in the round of sixteen. Yeah, so that's a that's a really tasty one. Like disastrous for some, like real disaster for one of these two. Yeah, it's so early for them to be meeting, but that's that's part of the draw. Uh, yeah, but the the big thing there though is. Um, uh, once again, as is the story with PSG, seemingly every year in this competition, injuries to yeah. like one of only two. It's it's like Neymar or Mbappe. They have to be hurt. It's just like a, a Champions League. It's in the bylaws. And sure enough, Mbappe came down with an injury a couple weeks ago, was expected to miss some time. But now they say he's way ahead of schedule, trained, I believe, in full yesterday. Oh. Uh, they're tight-lipped on whether or not he'll actually be available for the game. But uh, if I were a betting man, I'd say some kind of maybe cameo appearance. Feels like it's it's trending in that direction, which would be huge for them, of course. Uh, maybe they're probably their best player. Uh, so we'll see. It's a fascinating one between those two. Yeah, it definitely is. And um, and then I suppose, you know, Milan and Tottenham. I'm just really curious about that. Milan fifth in, in Serie A. Tottenham just kind of floundering a bit. Like I, I don't know what to expect from this game. Um, and then on Wednesday, Club Bruges and Benfica. Seeing Benfica again, it's just like we enjoyed them so much in the group stages and you expect them to kick on against Bruges, but Bruges proved themselves you know, to be one of the surprises of the group stage too. But I think if you're looking at a side that can go on and continue to compete. You would think it might be Benfica, although they've had a few exits in the transfer window. Yeah. How, will that affect, how will that affect them? I don't know. And then Dortmund and Chelsea. And that's just that's fascinating to me because, you know, Chelsea have this, you know, banquet of riches, but it's not quite clicking yet under Potter. It's, the signs are there that it could be amazing. I heard Reese James talking about how this team is going to be absolutely world-class uh, in a short period of time. And um, maybe maybe in Europe, maybe Europe's the place where they, they put it together. But, um, I mean, Dortmund will be no no easy mark for, for Chelsea. Yeah, um, I would throw in, you know, Liverpool-Real Madrid. It's just like, just such a glamour fixture, a rematch of the most recent Champions League final, mm. two of the most storied clubs in, in this competition. Um, you know, it's, I, I think Liverpool maybe have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder from their recent defeats to Real Madrid in this competition, just from the season they're having in general, this they might feel that this competition, that we're still really good. We're not going to be able to prove that in the Premier League this season, but we can still prove it in Europe. Uh, so I'll be cert- I'll, I'll just be very curious what version of Liverpool we get um, in that fixture. And then one other 
one that I'm really curious about, uh, Napoli and Frankfurt, just because with, with the season Napoli is having, uh, you, you can't help but wonder like just how, how good can this get? And, you know, no offense to Frankfurt, but it's, it's a draw that Napoli was probably not too upset about given some of the other teams they could have possibly come up against. Um, so it might be another opportunity, you know, you can't take anyone lightly, but you know, they're, they're just flying right now and they're so fun to watch. Yeah. And so, you know, watching them do it in the champions league where maybe they can build some more momentum here. Um, I'm just, I don't know. They're kind of, they're kind of emerging as one of the must watch teams right now in Europe. So anytime they play, especially in the champions league, it feels like must see television. So I'll be, I'll be curious about that one as well. I've been saying it for years, but you, you wouldn't listen to me. What what's that about Napoli? Oh, they're they've been they've just been class to watch. They're just such a brilliant club. So you're taking ownership of this now. Yep, yep. This is There's all me. Nothing. I'm really excited about the red card that's coming up, though. I have to say. Oh, okay. Well, then let's uh, let's get right to it. Red card. The red card that you're so excited about is uh, is Nathan Jones. Yeah. Tell, tell now me I, why you're so excited for this poor guy. I. Uh... I gave him the big build-up because I, I was really impressed with the way Southampton played in knocking City out of the Carabao Cup. But it's one win at eight for Nathan Jones. And uh, and like you, you put on the rundown. That was fast. Was it fair? Yes. Yes, it was. Um, yeah, it was fast to the tune of 94 days. Uh, here are the managers who have lasted a shorter amount of time than that. Can you guess any of them? Shorter amount. Um, uh, Frank De Boer. Yeah, seventy-seven days. That's the. Th- that's only the third shortest. Um, we're uh, we're probably not going back. But um, Brian Clough. No, I mean so, uh, this is in the Premier League era. Okay, all right. Um, you know, there's no history before that. Come of on, of course, silly me. Um, shorter periods. Go on. Uh, the shortest from. Uh, 2006, Les Reed of Charlton, 40 oh. days. 40 oh, days. Disastrous appointment. <laughs> disastrous. How oh, can my. you even really know, though? What what could be done in 40 days? Oh, well, you could know Unless that he Les... was just the worst, like on a human level. Yeah, less of Les is more, they said. Uh, then second shortest in 2014, uh, Rene Muhlenstein of Fulham. Fulham. I'll be honest. That wasn't that long ago. I don't have, I don't have any memory of that. Well, Rene was uh, was a guy that uh, we've learned through this podcast and through reading the book, Clegg uh, and Robinson's book about uh, Ronaldo. He was the guy that took Ronaldo aside and said, "Hey, you can be the greatest goal scorer that's ever been. All you got to do is practice with me now while you're suspended and there's an international break." Didn't work at Fulham, that's for sure. No. Then no. Uh, Frank De Boer in, in 2017, 77 days. That was horrifying. Uh, then, JJ, after that, a certain American. Bob Bradley. 84 days at Swansea. Uh, then Kike Sanchez Flores during that period where Watford were just going ma- going through managers for fun. Uh, he lasted 85 days, and that takes us up to Nathan Jones. 94 days. And out. Eight games. He won one of them, lost seven, six goals scored, 16 conceded. Um, just all- I will. Sorry, I will say this, Andrew. I, and I don't, I don't understand how we missed this. The man was a quotation machine. 
he said some of the most vain and self-aggrandizing guff. He fitted so much into that. How many days did you say it was? 94. He fit a lot in. And um, and I've I've got some of the best here for you. Oh, please indulge me. So let's start out with this. This is a doozy, all right? I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he gives me faith every day. And I have consummate faith in my ability. Now, I don't have any problem with Christians, Muslims, Jews, whatever religion you are, fine. But if you begin by saying you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and he gives me faith every day, and then you follow with, and I have consummate faith in my ability, there is a connection that you're making there that's pretty bold. To Jesus? That is what I take from that. Don't start with Jesus Christ. Don't ever do that. It's a bad, it's just bad. Yeah. You know, here's the next one. Uh, This is him talking about his time. um, Was it at Luton? I guess there weren't many better than me in Europe for aggression, clean sheets, defending inside your box and XG. Who I'd like, I'd be curious to hear. I would have like a good journalist would have had, would have followed up there. Okay. Nathan, who tell us who are the ones that are that you would say are better than you, right? Pat, uh, the the next and, one, uh, I think it's that's it. <laughs> the next one was a week ago. Um, this is strong. I could have stayed in a mining community, been a PE teacher, and had a nice life, married a nice Welsh girl. I don't. I want to test myself on every level, and that's nothing against Welsh women. I want to <laughs> test myself. <laughs> <laughs> he is what oh, a gem yeah yeah incredible yeah uh, just i'm glad he stopped there because he didn't know where it was going yeah speaking of managers that we have a weird affinity for did you see who was just hired jj no oh you're gonna love this who huddersfield oh no no save that Shh. oh oh oh. <laughs> oh no 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 save that oh no i've got i've got something Oh, it's coming. Oh, um, wow. Well, now I, you've turned the tables. Now I'm excited. But you know um, who's in the frame for this job? They what do you mean? For for the Southampton job. Uh, Jesse Marsh? Yeah. This feels like... Now, it, it should be pointed out, the Athletic reported that um, the hierarchy at Southampton liked Jesse Marsh a lot before he even went to Leeds. And so they feel he kind of fits their their profile or the things they want to do at the club style of play wise. Um, but I don't know about this. I mean, Jesse Marsh did keep leads up last season, albeit last day heroics. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know who the manager is. That's right for this. They're, they're bottom right now. Uh, 15 points, Four back of safety, which is Leeds. So it's not it's not impossible. Um, but boy, they look bad. I mean, they just they're just terrible. Um so I I don't know. Uh if Jesse takes that job, I don't I guess maybe it can have a little bit of the uh the dice effect that I talked about with Everton, where nothing is really expected of you, so your profile can't necessarily be lowered. Maybe you only have something to gain by taking a job like that, even if they get relegated. But if they have like a, they show some fight yeah. the rest of the season, it might be a win for you. Um, 
keeps Marsh relevant in the Premier League. I don't. I don't know. I, I, He's I, not I getting... wouldn't, wouldn't fault him for taking it. Look, there's not many of these jobs available. There's 20 no, Premier he... League jobs. One becomes available that wants you, you take it. And he's still in England. And he, I mean, I don't know how the visa works going into Brexit Britain now, but why not hang on for a bit? Yeah. M- move south. Uh, all right, let's do uh, our final, I believe this is the final man of the match here, JJ. Oh, that's what you think. Caught offside's man of the match. That is what I think. And what I think is uh, this one here, we have Brentford doing their part to impact the title race. This is really kind of more of an excuse to talk about Arsenal, but um, but, but props, we can say props to Brentford, we, though. We can say what a job Brentford are doing. We can also say Brentford are on a 10-game unbeaten run. Which... Well, it is amazing. I mean, they're eighth right now. Brentford. Brilliant. They're ahead of Liverpool and Chelsea. Brilliant. I'm delighted for them. I, th- this really is the season... Of the well-run smaller club. Yeah, Brighton, Fulham, Brentford, that little six through eight axis right there. And and they deserve their credit. And, you know, in this game, they had chances. They frustrated Arsenal. They had chances to, to win it maybe themselves. They didn't take the chances early on. Arsenal go ahead. But Brentford have the resiliency and, and the luck to, to come back and equalize. And in terms of goalkeepers, I, I still think, uh, Ramsdale was at fault on the Tony equaliser. He's come rushing out there. I think if he stays at home, I mean, that ball is going over the head of, of the Brentford player. Yeah. Again, two, two players were offside. Correct, correct. And so that went for Brentford, certainly. But it's not like they didn't have other chances in the game. Yeah. Um, um, here's a quick question for you. This time next year, you think Thomas Frank is Brentford's manager? Yes. You really? You don't think a bigger club will come in for? I mean, if if he gets Brentford to finish top half of the table, how's he not near the top of the list of of in demand managers? But where, like, where is the the vacancy coming there? I like, don't know. That's what Who I knows? would say. Teams get rid of managers like like he's it's not going to be the manager at Arsenal, Man City, or Man United. He probably won't be the manager at Newcastle. He's not in the profile for Tottenham, and then it's Brighton, Fulham, Brentford. He's not going to be manager at Liverpool. Like, where is he going to be manager? Like. I just don't see it. Okay. That's why I asked. Yeah. Thank you. Um, but no, you're, you're right, though. Props to Brentford because uh, this season has been uh, – it's been spectacular for them so far um, to be in the position that they're in. I mean, they're kind of a club that, you know, the primary goal, they may not say it, but it's it's to stay up. Oh, they say and it. And they, they – I mean, they're is. good. Like, forget it. Like, now they're – it's it's the fight is on for, for Europa League. Um, or conference league qualifying. I mean, imagine like we can say what we want about the conference league, but if like you're Brentford and and you can get some kind of like European experience going, uh, I mean, uh, it's amazing. It's incre- it'd be incredible. Like Truly what a incredible. thing that would be. Um, so good for them. Uh, as for Arsenal, JJ. So what what exactly what's going on here? Is it time? Is it time to worry? I, I say, I say, yeah, kinda. I think so. I mean. In isolation, the Everton result, the defeat to Everton was mitigated against the fact that City went out and lost straight away. So there's a chance to rebuild. But I told you, going into this week, Brentford would be tricky, but Arsenal should absolutely expect to beat them. They go 1-0 up and they can't hold out. And now they go into this game on Wednesday, Championship Wednesday, as I've dubbed it, and they know that if City win, City go level. And there's their lead gone and anxiety and anxiousness moves in. 
They now, do have I, a game I, at hand, but uh, you're do, right. Uh, yeah. point, in terms of points, it'll be uh, it'll be even. And like the performance against Brentford was, yeah, it, it just lacked that little bit of spark, that little bit of something that they've had. And when they did go ahead, I honestly felt they they were going to go on and and win two 0 but but they didn't. And um, they are a little bit vulnerable now, and they're a little bit. If you look in their play as well, they're. There's a little bit of action, anxiousness creeping into their play too. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. So, uh, and I'm thinking about this from my own club and, and my experience with them. Um, maybe Liverpool a little bit as well. But yeah, you know, oftentimes I feel like it's a it's a good thing to know you're 11. Like you know, you go into games and you and you feel like you found a rhythm with the with the team that is that is your best team. And Arsenal have I believe it's six straight games they've played the same starting 11 yeah that in the last I'd say few days I've kind of heard that stat turned around and used against them to suggest that there's a a fatigue setting in fatigue or yeah maybe it's that maybe it's complacency I don't know now maybe this is a season where you can't do that because of games being played every midweek. So you can't necessarily compare it to past years where if you're just playing on the weekends, week mm. after week, having the same eleven's not so bad. Um, is that is that a thing that Mikel Arteta has to start to worry about? He might think he knows who his eleven, his best eleven are. Does he have to almost go against his own gut and and play guys even if he thinks this is not the eleven I want to be playing? Just to to keep certain players fresh, to shake up the, the team. It it feels weird to me, but I don't know. That's that's what I'm hearing a lot of right now. Yeah, I don't know about that. I mean, he only made two substitutions at the weekend. He took uh, Xhaka off and Martinelli off, and he brought on um, Trossard and Fabio Vieira. So, I mean, he obviously doesn't feel that way. I think, I think it's more a case, Andrew, that like you have to learn, and Liverpool learned how to do this in their championship winning season, is to win games where you're not on top or it's, things aren't grind out results. And um, and like a 1-1 draw against Brentford should not be like earth shattering. But when you've got City breathing down the back of your neck, can't and do it. you can't do it really. Um, so Wednesday just becomes absolutely massive. Uh, but I've, I've been talking to some Arsenal fans, uh, a friend of mine, Martin Rooney, who who I think you know, he uh, tweeted me from, from back home in Ireland. He said... Uh, February collapse on the way. Um, I a couple other people are saying that they were anxious, but they were, you know, they were confident that when the big game comes around against City, that Arsenal will lift it because they have to. Um, and my favorite one came from uh, an Arsenal supporter, Johan, who was the one of the bartenders at at the Munro, the Liverpool supporters club. But he's a huge Arsenal fan, and I was asking him, you know, you know what's happening right now? You're in a bit of a blip. And you've got City on Wednesday. And then he said, the Queen died at the wrong time. <laughs> That's, is, right. That was the game that was postponed, right? Yeah. Wow. So now that they, they have City while they're in their little blip. But it just the way he opened with the Queen died at the wrong time. I just, oh, I loved it. It, 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 was, it was my favorite line I've heard in, in the last few days. You know? On, uh, on the count of three. I want each of us at the same time to say the name of the club that we think is going to go on and win the title. Okay. One, two, three. City. Manchester City. Um, yeah. And I want, I 
desperately want to be proven wrong, especially after Pep Guardiola's unbelievable press conference. Um, but his his bullish defense of the alleged wrongdoings of his ownership. So yeah, I would love if Arsenal could. Oh, do it. why? Because he talked about Gerard slipping. No, I mean he I, went. He cut right to your core, JJ. Oh no, it was no, like no. he was speaking to you directly. <laughs> no, not not even that. I mean, there was so much there, so much stuff, and uh, um, I mean the, yeah. those things are the manager is always in a weird position. He can't be the one to delegitimize his team's success. He just can't. Oh, he can't. Oh, yeah, and he doesn't want to do it because. But for for exactly that, it would it, it's a reflection on him, and uh, nobody wants to be told that the last decade of their lives have been a complete fraud. <laughs> nobody would like that. Well, but anyway, uh, back to Arsenal. I can't wait for Wednesday. Wednesday, Andrew. What we're gonna do is, uh, I am going to, and I hope you'll join me. I'm gonna put out a little video, quick video on YouTube, one of those uh, YouTube shorts, mm. um, so we can bridge the gap. Uh, between the end of the Arsenal game, uh, Arsenal-Man City game, and the next podcast. So we'll give you our quick reaction to the game on Wednesday. Amazing that they're playing. It's such. It's just the craziness of the football calendar this year that such a huge Premier League fixture is, is going up against Champions League action. Like it's just not a, you never see this. No. It doesn't happen. No, but it's, uh, I, I'm not watching the Champions League. If <laughs> that. It's Arsenal City all the way. It's a huge game. Absolutely huge game. And you thought that that was the last man of the match, Andrew? Well, hang on. I'm just looking now just to see. So Arsenal City is Wednesday at 2.30. Dortmund Chelsea is at 3. Club Bruges Benfica is at 3. Yeah, boy, Real Madrid is playing Elche at 3 o'clock also in La Liga. So, So Real Madrid, Man City, and Arsenal are all playing at the same time as Champions League action. That yeah. is, that's the calendar this year. Yeah, are, if I'm ranking those in terms of what I'm watching, despite the fact that Champions League is probably what I'm most intrigued by, Arsenal City is definitely one. Nothing nothing is coming before that for me. Okay. And then Chelsea Dortmund would be two. All right, interesting. There you go, Fair everyone. Enough. Did you say, JJ, that uh, you have another man of the match? Yeah, man of the match? Uh... Neil Warnock. There it is. Our friend, Neil. Back in football management after retirement, out of retirement at age 74. 74. Now, I know for a fact, you are not coming out of retirement to do anything at 74. If I could retire tomorrow, I'd do it. You'd do it. For good. That would be it. Uh, Yeah, done. Neil Warnock has come out of retirement and made a shock return to management at Huddersfield. The 74-year-old, whose last job was at Middlesbrough, walked away from the game last April, but has been lured back in. Walked away is the wrong phrase. Walked away suggests, I've had enough. I can't take this anymore. Like he's in his mid-50s. (laughs) Walked away? He he was, Jesus, how many more jobs did you want the man to have? Uh, he's been lured. I mean, he set the record for for competitive games. Like he's sixteen hundred competitive games. Managed. He had been in football for forty two years, right? Yeah. And, oh, yeah. wait, wait, wait for the wait for the little factoid I have here. Um, but he's been lured back by the prospect of keeping Huddersfield in the championship. By the way, lured back. No one's lured to Huddersfield. Um, Warnock will take charge on Thursday after returning from a holiday in the United States. I cannot believe Warnock is on our soil right now and we don't know where. Yeah, well, if you had to guess, what do you think? I'm t- I'm saying it's either 
uh Disney World with his grandkids. Yeah. Um I'd say Florida. It gotta be somewhere warm, right? Yeah. Oh no, he'd like to yeah. And I don't see him as like a Lake Havasu spring break kind of guy. Hey, how relieved is his wife Sharon that he doesn't that she doesn't have to take any videos for his social media anymore? Remember the one last summer on the bike? Stay healthy, hydrate. Yeah, uh, I was just out for a cycle, just out for a cycle, and uh, you know it's a beautiful day. So I just want to say to you, get out, get the blood pumping, and stay healthy. He's a gem. Are you ready for this? Yeah, go on. Richard Jolly, one of the the best follows for this kind of tweet. In 1995, that's 28 years ago, Neil Warnock was manager of Huddersfield and Gianluigi Buffon played played for Parma. In 2023, Neil Warnock is manager of Huddersfield and Gianluigi Buffon is playing for Parma. These These are the great survivors of European football. That is such gorgeous symmetry. Who are other great survivors? Guys from the game that you think they should have gone away, but they won't. Like, I thought Roy Hodgson for a long time, but he has retired, so. Yeah, that's a good question. People that were just there, always. Yeah, I I don't know if I have a great, I don't know if I have an answer to that. Yeah, I'm going to have to think on that. Yeah, for a while I felt that way with Fabio Capello, but now you don't hear about him that so much anymore. Yeah. Yeah, is he he's not managing now, is he? No, I don't think so. It feels like something that you'll say about Mourinho in 20 years. Yeah. There he is. He'll be he'll have bounced around to like 15 clubs over 14 years. And uh, but like still doing it, still in the news and I and you know, I know your thoughts on him. I could see him. He's got potential, but in terms of current ones like that, other survivors, I'm, I'm gonna survivors to at CO Soccer Pod on Twitter, caught offside pod ESPN. I want to hear about your great survivors. And while you're doing it, why don't you leave a review on iTunes? Yeah, please do. Please do please that. Do. Um, so we've we've come to the end of proceedings, Andrew, and, and that wraps it up. No, 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 no. Uh, just, I know you don't want to go long, but. Anything on the Super Bowl for us? Come it's on. the I'll say I'm I'm being honest now. Um, and I'm I'm not looking for sympathy or anything like that. I know most most people who aren't from Philly hate the Eagles because they, they hate the fans. Um, for whatever reason, you can choose whatever reasons you want. So be it. Um, but just for me, I would say I didn't think I've gone over twenty years now of with the belief that. I would never experience a worse loss than the 2002 NFC Championship game between the Bucks and the Eagles. Uh, that was always the standard for me I, uh, of like a loss can't feel worse than that. And that's just how it's going to be the rest of my life. Unimaginably for me, this this topped it. Wow. This was worse for me for any number of reasons. Um, just I think the big one being like, the 10-point the halftime lead is the one. And I know the 10 points against the Chiefs. Like, I know that's nothing. What was it a couple years ago against the, the Texans in the playoffs? They came back from, like, 24 nothing in the blink of an eye. Like, I know that they do that. But you can't help it. It's just human nature. Like, you see that score at halftime, and you just, like, you just start to believe. 
Yeah. Like the ha- I was at, I went to my buddy's place in Philly cuz like he lived right he lives right near Broad Street. So like the plan was, you know, a bunch of us were going to go there, watch the game there and if if the Eagles won, we're right there. We're right off Broad to like be among the that scene that like you always see on TV after when Philly teams win titles or get to to title games like everybody spills out. So we were right there and you start to like think about it. You can't help it. Um, so it was just the nature of it. And like, so they blow the 10 point lead and they go down by eight. And so then the opposite happens. Then you come to terms with it the other way. You think like now I'm coming to terms with, wow, we actually blew it. We lost. And then the Eagles go down and score and convert the two point conversion and suck you right back in. Yeah. And we're hugging and like we're singing the fight song in my buddy's living room, like the 10 of us that are there and like, yeah, and you're right back in it. And then the rest is history. Like the Chiefs march right down the penalty. Say what you want about it. Look, I thought it's it was not a, a penalty. I mean, yeah, he's put a hand on the small of his back. It's not enough. I mean, it doesn't help that Bradbury himself afterwards said that it it. It was. He said, yeah, I held him and I kind of hoped that uh, I'd get away with it. I don't know. It's just one of those that like holding, like they chose not to call holding at all the entire game when everything you hear from people in football is that holding happens on every play. So if you're going, I know that's an exaggeration, but it's close. Like you could make that argument that at least once a possession, there's a hold somewhere. They've gone the whole game without calling it. It just feels like a weird moment to suddenly decide, yeah, you know what? We're going to we're going to end the season on one. Uh, what? It's just, and a soft one. Like a like yes, it was a hold, but within like within a penalty, there are levels of the degree of that penalty. Of course. This one was soft. It just was. And so to make the decision after not calling holdings all game, then a soft one happens in this moment and you decide to end the Super Bowl on it. It's that's that's hard. That's tough to live with. Now, the Eagles lost for tons of reasons. Sure. That is one of them, but it's not the reason. Some right. Eagles I, fans are treating it like they lost the game because of that. No, that's not. There's true. a lot of reasons they lost that game. The Chiefs are amazing. And Andy Reid was he's one of the greatest coaches of all time. And he was the, the best version of himself in that second half. He Definitely. was spectacular with how with how he schemed up ways to beat the Eagles pass rush and completely neutralize them. And it was just it was just sickening to watch because it started to just feel so predictable. The Eagles were helpless. They couldn't stop them. And it just felt like whoever had the ball last was going to win. And unfortunately because of a penalty that wound up being the Chiefs and and that's how they won. Um this is a truncated turf talk, but if you're the NFL and you're designing this kind of new grass, this mix of grasses that that is supposed to be almost like a golf course grass for it to be that bad on the big night two years in the making is just not it's an acceptable. effing embarrassment it's an it embarrassment is. it's an embarrassment why would and i wouldn't mind but arizona I, I remember several super bowls in arizona where the pitch was just fine why not just why are you testing this tonight total embarrassment that that was able to happen and it and look both teams had to play on it yeah, and the Eagles were very diplomatic about that afterwards. They made like, when they were asked about it, they they all made a point of saying that. Yeah. But I've heard other I've heard analysts talk about it who are unbiased, um, and and it's their their kind of slant on it is 
it would affect the Eagles more than the Chiefs just because the Eagles are so reliant on their pass rush. Yeah. And if pass rushers can't gain traction or footing against offensive linemen, then they're they're, they're not serving over. any purpose. Yeah. They're just bodies on a field. I don't know. I mean, I, it just didn't need to happen. I feel it was one of those things that it's just tinkering and, and messing. And um, although but, two years two years of it i'll say this i mean because like you know we talked i think it was on this podcast we talked a little bit about um i'll use that word again the delegitimization of both the chiefs and the eagles after their conference championship games the chiefs because oh the calls bs calls nfl wants mahomes in the super bowl and with the eagles it was you know oh their road was a joke they got daniel jones then they got the niners with no quarterback pathetic there was a lot of delegitimizing going on with these two teams. And I think in the end, if you were a neutral observer and you watched that game last night and you saw the way Mahomes played and you saw the way Hertz played, and these teams were both, including playoffs, 16 and three coming in, and you see that score, 38 35, and big play after big play, I think everyone walks away from that saying, yep, those are the two best teams in football. Mm. I, I think you can comfortably say that last night. And it was, I mean, it was a spectacular game. It was a thrilling it game. It's unfortunate. Some people, you know, I saw uh, who was Seth Wickersham. Somebody was making the the case that it's the best Super Bowl ever played. No, um, I think that's I think that's a bit of a leap, and I think it's especially hurt by the ending. I think if the if the Chiefs score and the Eagles have one last chance to respond, and who knows what happens, I think you know you get a thrilling ending, and I think you can have it can get into the conversation. Um, but I think. I think a controversial penalty ending a game, it just, it, it it can't help but shade the way you feel about the game overall. I don't think that's just me as an Eagles fan saying that. I think a neutral fan who desperately wanted to see it end a certain way, no yeah. one wants a game to end like that. Other than Chiefs, I mean, Chiefs fans are okay with it, and I get that. But like, you're watching a game, you don't want it to end on a controversial penalty. Like, so it, it I think that affects it a little. Anyway, yeah, so there, I, I said I didn't want to talk about it at all, and now I, I can't stop talking about it. <laughs> no, we had to get something out of you, man. I'm what, what sorry. Is your, what's your worst loss of all time? Any sport, soccer probably, but what would you say? Oh. Um, I mean, the one that sticks with me is always the one from my youth. Um, the FA Cup final in 1996 was an absolute kick in the gut. And Manchester United won Liverpool nil. Okay, absolutely kill me. And I know there's other. I mean, the another United loss was it wasn't in a final, so but it still hurts. Was the um the FA Cup in in ninety nine where we're we're uh, leading one nil at Old Trafford and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer scores two goals in like the ninetieth minute and the ninety first minute. That was God hard to take. Really, really hard to take. There's others, but those two spring to mind. Yeah, well, yeah. So I'll save go. my I'll save my celebrity chat for later. Oh, yeah. We'll do it on we'll do it on uh, the second pod this week. You're really not going to tell us? No, because I feel we're going long, and maybe well, it's be- better I save it. Now you asked for it. I didn't want to talk about the Super Bowl. No, I was okay, but I I just feel like, yeah, maybe maybe it's better I save it. All I will say is, a celebrity. <laughs> unbeknownst to myself, found me very amusing and my family and friends didn't tell me until much later in the day. Can you give us a hint? Something to for, for us to like think on for the next few days? About who the celebrity was? Uh-huh. Um, he's in 
the biggest show in America right now, which is coming back at the end of uh, no, at the end of February, I think is it February or March? It's coming or early March on HBO, and um, and uh, yeah, he's a well, he's a Roy, he's a Roy. Hmm. Wow, Roy Kent found you amusing. Ugh, no. Oh, <laughs> I saw the character that played or the actor that played Roy Kent. I wouldn't be as annoyed as I am that no one told me that he was laughing at something I was doing. I'm intrigued. We'll save I'm the story. Intrigued. It's called a tease in the industry, Andrew. Yeah, and a, and a damn fine one at that. All right. Thank hey, you. this was enjoyable, therapeutic, all those things. Red Cards, Man of the Match, they never fail to disappoint. I always enjoy when they come back onto the show uh, in, in limited returns. Um, but this was fun, JJ. I enjoyed it very much. Like you said, we'll be back in some form or another later this week. So you'll get something, all right? Don't worry, everyone. We'll, we got more for you. Uh, JJ, this was fun. To you, I say... Stay healthy. I'll see you, man. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 